This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Megan Walker, Director of Market Savvy, an agency of healthcare marketing specialists and health promoters. Megan is an inspiring, high-energy marketer who has developed a valuable Allied Health Marketing Academy to support healthcare business owners build great businesses. We discuss how Market Savvy is helping practice owners to focus on their uniqueness, as well as their healthcare service niches and the local communities, whilst connecting with their own sense of self and purpose. We also unpack the differences between everyday digital marketers as compared to digital healthcare marketers. This is essential to know in healthcare, as well as the relationship of tech tools and their pros and cons to building teams and culture around your marketing strategy. Megan is a powerhouse of content and ideas that will help you embrace marketing and succeed in the process. Let's jump in. Hey, Megan, how are you doing today? Hi, Yanni. I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. And thanks very much for taking the time to join me today and to talk about what you're up to in the marketing world within the uh, health space. And uh, I guess uh, in particular, from my point of view, the allied health space. Do you want to tell me a little bit about your journey to date? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So I like to think I'm a bit of a veteran marketer. I've been at this for over 25 years, eat, breathe and sleep healthcare marketing. I've got three degrees and a master's in business marketing. I've always worked in hospitals and promoted medical research institutes and even corporate social responsibility programs with health involved. I started my own agency 13 years ago. We work with all different types of health organisations, aged care, hospitals, etc., across Australia and New Zealand. But my particular passion, my favourite, I shouldn't do this, but I've got a teacher's pet, is Allied Health. So I absolutely love my work with Allied Health. Solo practitioners right through to large, you know, multi-banner sites. I really see my contribution in that community working really well as an ethical healthcare marketer to connect those beautiful, loving, kind, caring people with other people in the community that that they can help, you know, and change their lives and move them forward. So, yes, healthcare with with a special uh, special love interest in Allied. Fantastic. Well, um, I share that love interest as well. So I think it's fantastic. And when I reached out to you to get you on the show, that really came across. It was pretty clear in all your positioning and your branding, aside from demonstrating, I guess, how how skilled you are in in marketing as well. But you've concentrated uh, very much on uh, the health marketing. And for me, that's, um, that's a major differentiator because obviously there are a lot of marketers out there. There are a lot of people who are at various stages of, uh, let's say, their skill development, professional development in marketing, but they don't really understand how to bring it into healthcare. And yet I think a lot of healthcare providers would probably just think that a marketer is a marketer. But I don't agree with that. And I wanted to get your thoughts on the differences between, let's call it sort of general marketing or any any industry marketing versus healthcare marketing. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that you've noticed there's a difference as you would doing what you do. So any industry type marketing is very sales focused. You know, you would look at a piece of marketing strategy or a tactic through the lens of 
What numbers will this increase? Or what hits will this create? What's our ROI? What's our cost of doing this? And, you know, what's the cost of doing something else over this particular strategy? It's very cost, very financial driven conversation and, you know, set of actions. And then that in turn drives a certain set of behaviours. So if we look through the lens of how we're going to make money, and really all small business has to have an eye on that, of course, for sustainability. But if it's purely through the money making lens, it does change that behaviour. And so what we see taking place when with some of those approaches are some of the unfortunate examples of marketing. And I'm, I'm going to go there because I'm um, not always particularly proud of what my industry does. We see things that look like cash grabbing. They look spammy. They look unscrupulous. They look annoying. They look underhanded. When I talk to health professionals, as I do every single day, and I say, look, we've really got to you know, get you involved in more marketing, they go, oh, I do not want to be like that. Because we always go to the worst example that we've seen. We think, I don't want to be the person ringing someone at seven o'clock when dinner's just been put on the table. You know, we, we've had all these really bad, dodgy things going on in marketing. But what I want to do and really help to people to understand who are listening to this is that the difference between that style of marketing and healthcare marketing is healthcare has to, of course, be about the patient or client. We need to be looking at marketing through the lens of, I am your advocate. I am here to serve you and help you change your life, improve your health care, improve your health condition for as long as is clinically relevant and no further. I am not going to oversell, overprescribe, overserve you. I am going to take you by the hand and help you listen to you and make your life different. So the both are marketing, but the both couldn't be more different because instead of being through the lens of sales and sales targets, we're looking through the lens of people and people need. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to get long answers from me. Sorry, Yanni. No, <laughs> I'm so no. passionate about this topic. I, I, I love it. Um, <laughs> I think as, as I was hearing you sort of just um, flesh out those differences, because, you know, I think we've all experienced both in terms of being business owners, uh, some of the organisations that approach us to try and offer us marketing services. It's rare to find really good quality, high quality marketing people. You know, it could be for a variety of reasons. It could be that uh, Google is still relatively a young business. But what it has done effectively is certified a heck of a lot of so-called Google qualified people who may not really understand marketing, but they might actually understand how to use Google and how to actually use the toolkit that Google offers. Does that resonate with your experience as well, that differentiation between what marketing is, you know, concepts like branding, concepts like marketing versus using tools? Do you want to take us through that a little bit? Of course. Yeah, I totally get that confusion. And it is really overwhelming for people who are trying to go, well, which bit is marketing? Look, you can call me egocentric. I call the whole lot marketing. Because for me, anything that connects you with your target audiences in meaningful ways is marketing. And maybe I've done that as a shortcut over the years of working with clients to just help them get out of that. But is it an ad? Is it a promotion? Is it PR? Is it digital? What, what is it? And you just go, look, the whole thing's marketing. Let's just put that to bed so you can stop grappling and rolling around with that at two in the morning. You know, the whole thing's marketing. In that, there's subsets. And I look very clearly for allied health into local area marketing. What's your visibility in your local area? What's your referral marketing? What's your referral ecosystem? And how are you extending and maintaining that? Most importantly, maintaining it. And then digital. How do you show up online? What do you look like? What do people see? What are your reviews? Uh, what does your website look like? So I suppose if we kind of carve it out into those three buckets, then in the digital space, provided that the 
allied health practitioner or business owner knows what to ask for, then in a perfect world, they would be going to a digital agency and saying, these are the products and services. This is how people come to my practice and work through, and this is how I help them. I'd like you to help me with this piece over here of I need more people aged 40 to 50 to know about ACL rehabilitation in Perth. Can you do that piece for me? And then it's tick that box, provided that, you know, monitor it and make sure the numbers are working and it's creating results from you, you know, manage that with the receptionist, how you're hearing about us, you know, all that sort of thing to make sure it's working. But that won't work in isolation. And, you know, there's got to be the local area visibility and the referral ecosystem happening with that digital. So, yes, you could go to a digital agency. They probably wouldn't even understand the other two buckets that are going to come before it, but they could just do that discrete piece and probably not even really need to think or know much about the rest of that practice. Um, They might not even be that particularly interested in how that practice runs. They just want to know that they're hitting their numbers, hitting the ROI and the ad spend so they get you back next month. There's a good observation that as well is that um, a lot of that kind of, you know, non-health industry kind of um, digital marketers out there, they're good at telling us what we want to hear, you know, and Mm. trying to hook Mm -hmm. us into, you know, paying a monthly fee or whatever the case is. But typically what I found over the years in working with external agencies who really didn't understand the domain, didn't understand healthcare in particular, is that there's a good sell job up front, but then you start getting into realising through this painful extraction kind of process that they actually don't understand your customer and don't understand your industry. That shouldn't be understated because it's hard to find high-quality healthcare marketers. There seems to be too many agencies out there that just add on health, but it's not really in their DNA. It's not really within their core empathy of understanding what it's like to own a business and operate a business within healthcare. I I totally agree because... You know, there's there's those bits that are missing. You know, you I've worked in hospitals, so and I know that's not private practice per se, but you know, hospitals have a similar style that when it's done well, it's about how do we add value to the patient? What is it, what's the patient's needs? How do we keep coming back to putting the patient or the client at the center of what we're doing and enrich their life and enrich that value proposition, if we use that sort of language, as opposed to targets, numbers, sales, funnels. And yeah, I think that people orientation is what we miss when we go too hard and fast down a purely digital and we forget the human element of it. Uh, We're not dealing with numbers. We're dealing with people and people's lives and we're dealing with pain and we're dealing with people who are confused and dealing with people who might not want this particular intervention, might not want the psychologist involved in their life at the early stage till they see the value. So we've got to treat it very carefully and very sensitively and with a lot of empathy and with a lot of love and care to keep coming back constantly over and over again, how will this make someone feel? Just back to that Google Ads example, the output of that is challenging for a practitioner to manage because the two are speaking a different language, I think. I think that's where some of the fallout is happening is the the practitioner doesn't always know what to ask for and then the Google Ads person doesn't know what to give them. So there is that kind of disconnect in a different language. One's very technical, one's in a practice, and how do the two reach that divide? We have a program where we teach people how to do their own marketing, and that's either so they can do it themselves or so that then they can outsource and have that knowledge and have that awareness of what to ask for so they get what they need. I think that's um, part of the challenge in a digital age because there's so much tech out there that's not necessarily built for healthcare or healthcare service providers. But it's good tech 
And in uh, the majority of industries, it's probably really useful and very good. But when we get sort of um, hit up with sponsored kind of posts through, you know, Instagram or, or Facebook, as business owners, we're seeing this hitting us constantly and we're thinking, oh, look, they're, they're telling me that if I just subscribe to that tool, everything's going to be, you know, great. And it kind of does skew a person's mind into thinking that it is about sales and it is about, you know, the numbers actually relate to that kind of sales driver. And this might be a slightly counterintuitive perspective, but um, I actually think that demand for healthcare in Australia is abundant. There's so much need for it. And it's really a question of trying to position yourself in the right place at the right time based on what you want to actually be known for. You know, I just want to touch on one quick thing before we talk about the USP is all these different marketing tools that are out there at your disposal are confusing, yes, but they all do have a different job. Uh, An obstetrician yesterday said to me, look, I see that some of my competitors are doing fertility ads on Facebook and I don't know how I feel about that. And I said, look, my two cents worth is that's not the way you would advertise that service. That's not the way you'd go about it. You might not do an ad. You might do a fact sheet. You might do a did you know. You might do like a recorded presentation style that people could access the information for free, get to know, like and trust you and then maybe there's something they could download and further information and and then go on a nurturing journey. I think another challenge um, that we have is people think I'll do Facebook ads or I'll do Google ads and that's going to do the job of the whole lot. And again, when we come back to that patient and we see, well, what does that person really need? Would they want that or do they want to know more about that you're going to have three midwifery home visits after your birth. You know, like let's value add up that particular patient and let them know about our services through education and value as opposed to, oh, let's just add campaign them. So I just kind of wanted people to hear that difference as well, that yes, you might have Google ads, you might have Facebook ads, you might have Instagram, you can do local area, you can do direct mail, you can do all these things, but they do have a different reason behind them as well. Um, Now, in terms of USP, this is uh, one that I love doing, particularly with solo practitioners. When you sift through all of those different options and you find the one that aligns with you, you don't have to do a lot of different marketing things. You might be a psychologist who in your part-time life is interested in pottery. Uh, You might find that opening up a four to six person pottery class on a Saturday afternoon where you can do a mindfulness meditation at the start, create a bowl together, talk about some group concepts and finish with a meditation is all the marketing that you need for those people then to go out, word of mouth, talk about how wonderful you are, achieve all of those commercial objectives, word of mouth, branding, local area awareness, you can advertise for the pottery class on your Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Like it would have an ecosystem all of its own, but it's come back to who you are and what your values are and the mark you want to leave on the world. That's the kind of marketing that works beautifully for solo people, not big ad spend. I've been working quite extensively for a number of years to try and actually connect points of care. And we've done that quite successfully now with uh, with Core Plus and how it actually interoperates with GP systems and hospitals and other points of care that are related to that, you know, let's call it the business to business part of the journey, you know, that a, that a client might actually go through. But I have actually seen how difficult it is to really bring that message home on how important it is to actually build those local affiliations, get those referrers connected into who you are, what you're doing, how you do it, what sort of um, feedback your clients are giving to them 
as well so that you know the provider network around your your local area is also having you top of mind you know when it comes to um uh you know a patient that's presenting with some some issues and challenges they would think straight away oh i i need to refer them to megan so that's where i sort of come at it from the point of view of this differentiation from a distance as australians we're sort of now dialed into titles you know there's the psychologist the physiotherapist the podiatrist you know that's sort of a a thousand meter perspective from a distance you can say you know you can be directed to need one of those types of practitioners but then when there's a lot of psychologists or a lot of physiotherapists a lot of podiatrists how do we then get into a higher resolution you know kind of view on why this one instead of that one and that's where i kind of think that usp and bringing out the essence of that you know individual and so your your story there around the pottery passion you know that's attracting a different type of relationship with that person who's delivering the healthcare yes, absolutely and how you get to that is two things tuning right into your why i'm a huge fan of the simon senek work and anyone listening who's not familiar you know google the the 5 minute simon senek ted talk and you'll understand about the why you know for so long we've talked about the what and the how i'm a physiotherapist i treat people with sessions da 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 da, da. Um, instead of how, well, I love to help my patients and see them return to sport and see them, you know, achieve their goals and lift up their grandkids. And because I didn't have that in my life, and that's really important for me. So that's why I do it for other people. You know, finding your why, whatever it is, and it's 100% unique to each person, finding your why, honing in on that, being brave enough to live your why. And then I'm a huge fan of niching. Now, niching, it takes huge guts because you're effectively saying no. You know, I say no to engineering firms that ring me and want me to do their marketing. I say no to manufacturing. I say no to a whole bunch of stuff because I say yes to health. And I say yes over and over again. And I try not to think about how much money I'm saying no to when I say no, but I only say yes to health. I'm a huge fan of that. I know when I did that very firmly in my business six years ago, it took off. It was the best thing I ever did. And I, when I see Allied Health doing the same thing and going all in on their why and all in on their niche, I see amazing things happen. Now, you have an amazing product, Yanni, that makes that even more possible. I love this example. Um, I've been looking a lot at the telemarketing concept and the video health concept that provided you're not having to physically touch someone, you can choose that niche and now it's national. So everyone who needs advice around female continence and provided there's not a physical interaction, you can claim that niche even more deeply with a bigger audience. So niching to me is the new opportunity for allied health. Might not be the whole practice, might be one program. You know, having online courses is another area. You know, once you've chosen that niche, you look at then the ecosystem that sits around that. Okay, if I'm claiming female continence, just to continue that example, I'm going to be known in the research space. I'm going to be known as the speaker of conferences. I'm going to have my online course. I'm going to have my eBooks. I'm going to have my podcast and the patients are in the center and I'm claiming that space and everything that sits around that. So there's the USP taken into the why and then taken into even one step further into the niche and the space is claimed and there's the business of the future. I think when we try and be all things to all people, we're taking an amateur viewpoint we're kind of having a dabble. What if it doesn't work out? Hey, I've got a fallback. If that doesn't work out, I've got a fallback. We don't. We we, we pad ourselves with lots of excuses, but we we got to go all in, and that takes a big set. 
um, <laughs> a big pair to go all in and say, <laughs> I'm doing this. And sure, there's days where you're going to feel like, well, who am I to be all in on this space? You know, the imposter syndrome and all those things are going to rear their ugly head. And you say, well, let's challenge that. Let's look for the facts. Let's do a little bit of CBT on ourselves and go, hey, I'm here. I've, I've got an offering. I make a difference. Look back over the last 10 people you helped and keep reminding yourself, I have value to give. I have a difference to make. I'm going to keep going and keep getting deeper and deeper into my patch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, trying to be too salesy is almost a waste of time and money in a way because there's plenty of clients out there. It's a matter of sort of just trying to position yourself. And I, and I love what you're talking about there about um, connecting your why, bringing that personal identity out and really know where that niche is that you're going to be excellent at. Uh, Allied Health are trying to do that in various ways. And I think some GPs play ball and others don't. And, you know, that that's a thing and it may not always yield the best um, best source of referrals. Although I will just put out there that 2022 is the last date that GPs will be using faxes to try and send off healthcare information at different points of care. At least they're on, uh, they're on the record committing to that particular timeline. And so, you know, they're going to be looking for health practitioners who are actually connected to their systems using the digital health interoperability framework that the government has built. And I, I won't go into too much detail in this discussion on that, but that'll be useful. That, that'll be a tactic for a healthcare provider who's trying to connect with GPs is to get themselves yes. onto a product like Core Plus that has the digital health directory built into it mm-hmm. so that they can list themselves to be in front of the GP's eyeballs at the time that they're looking for a certain type of allied health practitioner to refer to. But above and beyond that, what about actually connecting with peers in the local area? So, you know, to use the physio or psychologist example, why not cultivate a peer-to-peer referral network where the psychologist that is doing the um, pottery, specialising in a particular area, is also aware and building a relationship with a psychologist who is specialising in a different area and they cross-refer to each other? You know, is is that a thing that somebody could build within their local community? Oh, there's so much that can be done and, and and all the different disciplines are in the same boat. You know, one of the groups that we coached last year took it on themselves, in, you know, in, in Perth and all started to get together. There's a group of six of them. They meet once a month at their local RSL on a Friday night for a cheap meal and they, first of all, have a good whinge about all their staff. They get that off their chests. Then they talk about innovations and what's new, what's happening, you know, oh, the bloody health funds, you know, they, it's a good whinge fest, but then they get on with what are we doing? How are you improving? What's, you know, that's always on their agenda. And so this has become like um, an informal therapy support group for lonely allied health business owners. And I tell you, every town needs one because everyone's in the same boat. Betty can say, hey, I'm doing a pottery workshop. Does anyone know of anyone who wants to learn mindfulness through art? Great. These don't always have to be um, event-based things. That is a good stunt to hang a lot of other marketing things off, having low-cost events. But it can just be, I've got a new piece of equipment and send me anyone who presents like this. Let people know. Those referrals then also can work backwards into the GP because some of those people will have a half day with GPs and then they can let the person know, hey, did you know that they've now got that device in their practice and you could send those patients. So all of this is, again, that awareness, that local visibility, other people are out there as your spokesperson. I often use the example at conferences, if I wanted everyone in the room to know, say, my email address, I could go and tell every person 
around the room, my email address, one after the other, after the other. Or I could go to one person at each of the 10 tables and ask that person to share the email address around their table. So I'm talking to 10 people instead of a thousand. So going into systems, uh, the concept of a system involves human beings as well. It's not just a straight line to just subscribing to something and all of a sudden, hey, presto, you know, the business is booming. How important is it bringing the team along, you know, for the ride, you know, rather than just sort of throwing tools at them or tech? What are your thoughts? It's got to be this is the way it's done around here. And when we come back to this is our commitment to our patients and clients and this is what we'll be known for and this is the patch that we're claiming and this is the space where we will make a difference, the conversation becomes very easy to ensure that everyone who's touching any of those patients, physically, digitally, mentally, however, emaily, all of those people who are involved in that ecosystem have got to be on that same page. You want to hire people who will fit that. You want to have them known that around here, we are the champions of scoliosis support, you know, whatever patch it is that we're claiming, or speech, language and learning for three-year-olds. Everyone who's here is on that page. And so then what I see work really well is, say, a staff meeting comes up, start that meeting with, what's everyone done in the last week that has championed a difference for people with scoliosis? So in our conversations with our team and what training will we do and what conferences will we do and what paperwork processes will we do that supports our people with scoliosis? How will we make their lives different? What information do they want to receive? What other resources will help them? What research could we be involved in that will, again, keep helping our ecosystem? I think when the conversation keeps coming back to the niche and the people, then the, the culture of the organisation, you know, has to tie in And that's a very, very powerful clinic that might only be three or four people and could be a powerhouse if it had that level of focus. And probably the third factor there is the the clinic itself. I noticed with your programs, you talk a little bit about how to design that kind of front of house experience as well. Do you want to talk us uh, through that as well? That's part of the journey, isn't it, for for the patient that's building a relationship now with with the clinic? Huge. Oh my goodness. This is, this is another topic. Yanni. This is definitely another topic. I could talk for days and days and days about the sadness I have for rude receptionists. I feel that's a huge letdown for any practice. Um, they are in such a position of brand custodianship that is so overlooked. I've just booked an appointment for myself with a specialist And I had the rudest receptionist that I dealt with. And I thought, gee, if someone comes along that I find out is offering the same thing as that specialist I'm seeing, I will move. I'll move on principle and I'll let them know and I'll give them a training opportunity. But I don't really think I want them as a client. That's a whole other story. But the fact that it took me three phone calls to get through and then the person was really rude and didn't remember my name when I said who I was calling and then was chewing gum while I was talking to them on the phone and then hung up without saying goodbye. I mean, this is worst example. This is really yeah. bad. That person should not be in that role because it's making that doctor who they're representing look like a moron. So the power that that person has to get it right is huge and the power that they have to get it wrong is equally huge. Part of the experience uh, begins before the actual clinical services are provided, right? So they're, they're either every step of the way, if you've got a clear picture as to what path your future client is taking in order to get to you, 
you can kind of engineer that in a way that you have quality control and you have recruited and trained and put the right tools and the right tech in place to cater for those different journeys. Uh, so whether it's the phone call that needs to be answered, so the, the inbound phone call and how that's managed over the phone, that's part of the marketing experience. It's part of developing that brand and the perception that that person has of your organisation. It reflects, you know, first impressions last. Yeah. Or it could be online bookings, for example, and how somebody is, um, you know, gone far enough in their research to land on your website and then they've got a form to fill. That's a little bit clunky. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a break in the seamlessness of that journey. Then you know that's that's kind of the, a similar kind of digital <laughs> digital offensive experience, so to speak, if I could put it that way. What are your thoughts? Oh gosh, I love this question. So you know, we used to be able to be just the brilliant practitioner, and all those little one percent of faults didn't matter because we were the brilliant practitioner, and the GP knew us, and people didn't go doctor googling, and the, the world wasn't as confused. And you know, maybe we like to think utopian in reverse. But the lines of referral pathway were more clearer and a lot easier. It was a lot easier to do marketing 10 years ago for allied health than it is today. And so those little one percenters that were kind of forgiven and brushed aside are now deal breakers because the patient is the one looking for their practitioner. The patient is the one telling the GP who they want to go and see. I know I do it. I take a post-it note and I say, I know firsthand these are the people I want to see. Just write out your referral. I'm not the only person doing that. But when we put those decisions in the hands of the consumer, who's not actually armed to make deep healthcare decisions, they look for heuristics. They look for fast-loading websites. They look for blogs that have been updated sometime this year. They look for um, systems and one-click and SMS reminders because that to them is the expectation of customer service in the other places that they shop and do business. So why wouldn't it be here in healthcare? And when it's not, it stands out like a sore toe and it questions the professionalism and quality of the healthcare that's going to be delivered. So those things matter now. The fact that I can't find a phone number on someone's website, next one, you know, I'll go searching. The fact that someone's got a three-star rating, I'll go the next one. You know, all of these things now are costing people business. And so we... To fix this, what you touched on is absolutely right. We look at the patient's journey and we map out every single interaction that the patient or client has with a practice and we look at how we can elevate every single one of those. And it might be that we can fix one thing a month. It might be that that's going to take a quarter, but we write down every single thing we're going to fix this year and we commit to it and we do it. And my biggest bugbear that you touched on is emailing someone a 36-page form uh, who doesn't have a printer at home and doesn't have a scanner. Could you imagine someone not owning a scanner, particularly if they're 80? What's wrong with them? And expecting that person to fill that out and scan it and send it back so it makes the life of the person on reception easier. There's got to be a better way. So let's really look at that through the patient lens and go, hey, whoa, we've been doing that. That's actually really annoying. How would I feel if I had that 36 and I've got one on the floor here. Someone's asked me to redesign their 36 page form. And I've said, I'm sorry, that's going online and we're cutting that baby down. And there's another way we can do that. That's not going to actually piss off your clients and patients before they even get to the appointment. I think it makes (laughs) the point that if you put yourself in the shoes of your clients, then it gets easier to see where the work needs to get done 
in order yes. to just improve and iterate on your whole marketing and branding strategy over time uh, because, you know, it can be quite daunting when you do an audit of somebody's uh, kind of branding or, or marketing and there's quite a lot to get through. Uh, you know, they might yes. be coming from a pretty poor base, so to speak, but it's something that at least you've got a strategy towards it and you're yes. kind of working through it. You support uh, clients through a variety of different programs, which um, I think is wonderful. You not only talk about marketing strategies, and I think we've heard that today, just, you know, how much experience you've got to kind of think about how to get that local deep positioning within that community aligned with um, kind of that essence of the practice or the or the solo practitioner, for example, who's got a bit of a differentiator with their personality and how they bring that out and infuse that with the healthcare service. You've developed a community and you're doing academies as well. Do you want to just touch on that very briefly oh, and thanks, tell us Sally. a little bit about what you're doing there? Yeah. So the last, um, what's well, going on four years now, I've actually been, um, you know, getting up every morning at four o'clock and building the Allied Health Marketing Academy and then patient facing all day after the school run. You know, I don't have any magic secrets to getting all this stuff done <laughs> as, a, as a business owner, mum, wife, the house, you know, dog, mother. Um but yes, we've dedicated a, a huge amount of time because I wanted this, these sorts of messages and this sort of help to reach masses. I want more people than what who I can help in a day to understand that marketing doesn't have to be confusing. It has to be genuine. It has to be practical, and it has to be implemented for as long as you're in business. And the other message that comes with that is when you're doing it properly and you've set up your system of marketing that's effective, it's one to two hours a week. I'm not talking hiring, having to hire a marketing director or a big outsourced agency. It's not a huge amount of work. It's just got to be the right work. So to teach people what that is, I built the Mar Allied Health Marketing Academy, which was very exciting. I had it last year. We had our first group go through it. So it's six months of learning and coaching. And then the next group has just signed up and they've started their six months. And I've had so many people say, Look, we're super keen, but the time of year is not suiting us. So it will be again July to December in 2020. And uh, there's information on my website if people want to go and have a look or ring me up, you know, the old-fashioned thing. I have a phone number. I can talk to people. That's a good good one or email, whatever you like. Um, and the, one of the amazing things that came out of this, the group that we did last year was every – so we have – here's some homework. Go and do these things. I'll take you an hour or two a week. I'm very humane. I'm not going to overload or overwhelm anyone. <laughs> But then, because I would hate that and that would make me really annoyed. So every three or four weeks, then we all get together and do a group Q&A. What have you done? What have you done? What have you done? What are you struggling with? Talk, talk, talk. And the wealth of that has been incredible. The support and the, oh, look, I thought I was stupid. I thought I was the only person who didn't understand Google Ads. I don't even use Facebook yet. I hate it. I hate social media. Guess what? Everyone feels exactly the same way about social media, but it's great for peers to be able to hear that and learn how we're working with the beast that is our conduit to our patients. But that support and insight has been really enriching. So, yeah, thanks for letting me share that. That really resonates with me as well. I think um, it's very easy to sort of fall into, I guess, the mindset that you're just on your own. You've just got your own business. And even though my uh, classic economics uh, lecturer at university was telling me that um, self-interest prevails uh, in year one, week two, no. As, well, it's. I, I don't think that's the case. I think what we've forgotten no. along the way is that um, we're still communities. We live in bigger population mm -hmm. centres like cities, mm -hmm. but we're divided into suburbs and, and regions and locations and we're still part of the fabric of that community. 
And whatever our yeah. skill is, whatever whatever service or trade or profession that we happen to occupy, we play a role, you know, within that fabric of the community. And it's easy to forget that when you're commuting, you're on the train or tram and you're running around all over the place, you're catching flights and, you know, there's a lot of anonymous people around you who you don't really know at this point in time. But I think if you get local, like you're saying, and really just understand that, build yourself into the fabric of that local community, be known for that thing that you are excellent at. The word of mouth and the association with the community around who you are, what you do, how well you do it, that's going to be the driving force to your growth as a business. But you also don't have to feel like an island. You don't have to feel like you're just this isolated business. You're part of the healthcare system um, and you can cooperate and collaborate with other healthcare providers in your region as well so that it's not always about how many people can I hire and that's my constraint and this is my limitation. It's like, well, no, if you cooperate with people who have those types of skills, you can sort of, you know, in a way jointly service a client without necessarily having to take a loan out to go out and take a risk in expanding your own practice at that point in time and they can do the same and you're ultimately resourcing and providing a much better experience as a team, as a collective, even though you still control your business and they still control theirs and you still make your profit and they still make theirs but the patient experience is just optimised because of the way that they move through that whole service model. We don't need to beguile anyone to be stuck with us. If we put enough of the right good stuff out there and we're clever about it, you know, it's not just um, jump a broomstick and hope for the best. Like, you know, we've got to be clever about this. But the the magnetism is there, definitely. You draw out the people who want to be drawn to you. So I'm wondering if we we sort of summarise it in terms of, you know, where that's kind of where things are at. If you're talking about to design client-centric type of um, experiences and think about the mapping of the client journey through the whole experience. I love that you're talking about partnerships and referral networks. I think that's really key. So I use the term sort of business to business as well as your B2C or business to consumer type strategies um, as well. And systems, you mentioned systems as well, which I think is fantastic, combining the culture within your healthcare business, the people and the tech tools and the digital tools and the marketing tools and what have you, and um, implement that on a this is the way we do things, you know, kind of basis. So with that in mind, is um, I'll, I'll close off with a question about the future. So in terms of continuing to modernise the healthcare practice or reimagine healthcare going forward, what does a modern health practice look like through the marketing lens in five to ten years' time? I think we'll see a lot of consolidation. We do have a lot of solo services, and I'm not saying that they're necessarily going but I, I do think we'll see some consolidation that, you know, there's a lot of GP practices in the bigger banner groups talking about the multidisciplinary practice. And I was talking to my husband about this, who's an accountant who works in health as well. And, you know, we have a lot of conversations about health innovation. It was such a fascinating dinner table, as you can imagine, <laughs> a couple of nerds. Um, and, you know, he's he's saying that, It'll either be the um, the service station or the general practice that will be the hub of the community as we get rid of larger shopping centres and, you know, we have places where we can pick up our packages at 2pm and or we can pick up medicines and, and this kind of more convenient hub type of thinking around communities, which is really interesting. Uh, but if we look at, say, even large pharmacies bringing in GPs or allied health or large GPs bringing in allied health, then there will start to be some of this Bunnings-type uh, approach to healthcare clustering around our communities. 
But what I see in that is a great opportunity for the allied health rock stars who would hate to call themselves rock stars and would want to hit me over the head for calling them a rock star. But I see this emerging opportunity where that, like what we were saying before about go deep, claim a space and be the go-to person for that topic, that cohort of people, provided there's enough people in the market and there's enough profitability to sustain it. Otherwise, you don't want to become a recipient of community support yourself. It has to be viable. But that go deep, go all in and be known is the way to secure yourself into the future. You'd either have the rock star and their method and their approach and that the way they work with patients. Or yes, like what you're saying, there's the collaboration where someone might have, okay, here's my diabetes management program and I see my GP and here's my wound care specialist, depending on what my needs are and where I'm at. And I can see that digitally and plot my own healthcare progress with these experts built in around this team. I think it's a great vision. And, you know, whether that happens one to one or one to many, I think the framework needs to sort of come about. And I think it is. I think in part, um, a lot of those tools are already available. They're just not being embraced uh, at the moment by mm-hmm. Allied Health. I think that will change, you know, in the next uh, couple of years. There's there's a leadership role, I think, that early adopters and innovators in the allied health space could actually start to refine the way they deliver healthcare services using the yes. the right now tools, not not necessarily the promise of, you know, AI and machine learning and what have you that's too far down the road or perhaps even, um, mm-hmm. you know, robotics and other aspects of tech which are, make some people really excited about the future. But it's actually today there are a lot of great tools that actually build that kind of engagement model during that clinical continuity phase. And that can happen through the course of somebody's life or just for a given set of goals that they're looking to um, achieve for themselves in a service experience that might last six months, you know, for example. I think it's really a mindset that takes the step towards that bigger vision because the tools are there and, they can, and there's more tools coming into the space as well that are reflecting yes. that. So I like that vision. I think it's workable and it's kind of something <laughs> that possibly wouldn't even take 10 years. I think it might even be three to five. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And tech can be cool. Like tech can do a lot of good things that might change some of the stigma around certain health conditions. I think so. Megan, thank you so much for taking the time today and just sharing some of those Mm -hmm. insights. I'm I'm sure the listeners will get some real inspiration out of some of the ideas that you've expressed there. And uh, we'll make sure that we link off to your site in the show notes as well. So thank you once again for taking the time. Absolute pleasure. Yanni could talk for days about this. We love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, Don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.